Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today, we're going to take a look at a very interesting book that focuses on the iconic anchor of ABC, Peter Jennings, and his life and his coverage of many international issues. My guest today is an expert, really a colleague of Peter Jennings when Peter was alive. Tom Osborne was assigned by ABC's Peter Jennings as a reporter, producer, and bureau chief to the United Nations who covered the launch of Desert Storm and the Gulf War. And that was followed by his investigative reporting on the ethnic cleansing and genocide in Bosnia. Mr. Osborne has recently published his latest book, The Politics of War, My 10-Year Journey with Peter Jennings, which recounts his decade in the 1990s with the legendary ABC anchor. Mr. Osborne is also the founder and currently anchor of the podcast, usworldreport.org. Tom Osborne, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thank you, Hill. It's good to be with you. I appreciate you being with me. You've got an interesting book, and we're going to dive right into it. First off, let me ask you, uh, I'm sure many of our viewers know who Peter Jennings was, but basically just a brief bio, who, who was Peter Jennings, and then why did you decide to write this book? Well, Peter Jennings was one of the big three anchors that really was held forth for some 20 years. Peter was on the scene in 83, became the anchor of World News Tonight. And he was one of the big three with Dan Rather and Tom Brokaw. America watched the big three for many years and got their news right there. And uh, that's where we really found out what was true and what was not true. It was certainly a different era when you had ABC, CBS, and NBC reporting the news, as opposed to what we've got today, which is such a hodgepodge and yeah. so much of it's not news, it's not accurate, it's misinformation, but we're going to be talking about that. Uh, Tom, how did you wind up working with Peter Jennings? So what, uh, what was it? Had well, you been at ABC or how did that work? I was discovered by one of his aides, actually, who uh, invited me to, uh, to, to join Peter Jennings. Um, they had observed my work and uh, thought that it might work. And so I got picked up to be on his staff and I worked directly with him for about a year. And then I got promoted to the United Nations where I was made bureau chief and the launch of Desert Storm uh, with Iraq. Tom, how was it that you wound up working at the United Nations, covering the United Nations? And how did you cover it in that period as opposed to how it's covered today? It certainly wasn't the United Nations of today that you were dealing with 30 some years ago. Well, it's like night and day, of course. Um, Peter Jennings uh, appointed me or promoted me to the United Nations in 1990 at the start of the Gulf War, just at the beginning of Desert Storm. And of course, at that time, the Security Council was highly functioning and state capitals were in agreement. And the guy was Saddam Hussein, of course, and we were searching for his weapons of mass destruction. And so the United, the United Nations was really being supported by the entire world, at least the Western world. And uh, even at a time we had Russia cooperating when the, the Russian Federation collapsed and the Beagle disappeared. So it was a very unusual time, something that I don't think we'll see very too many times. And of course, now that was back in 1990-91 with the first Gulf War. That was when Saddam had invaded Kuwait, as opposed to the invasion in 2003 of the United uh, the United States invading Iraq all by itself. It was those were two totally different wars, were they not? 
Yes, they were actually. And of course, primarily uh, during my coverage, Bosnia was the big issue. And uh, that was a problem because the, both uh, administrations, Bush uh, and Clinton had great hesitation. The Vietnam syndrome was play in play and they didn't want any part of really getting into a, a fighting war with Bosnia. And that's really where it was interesting in my coverage because I was able to get some inside contacts within the Security Council, which told me about the doom and gloom and the potential betrayal of Bosnia. That brings to mind the Security Council. It, uh, we saw during the Cold War, really from 19, well, really almost 1945 through about 1989 with the melting of the Iron Curtain, uh, the rusting of the Iron Curtain, uh, the dissolution of the Eastern Bloc, the Warsaw Pact and that type of thing, that the UN Security Council was pretty well petrified. It really was, uh, it couldn't do much to be quite honest. It, uh, I think we had the Korean War that came out of that or the Korean support for from 50 to 53, but the, the Security Council was not very effective, but it did really start to blossom in the late 80s, early 90s. And do you, do you attribute the decline of the, or the, the demise of the Cold War to that particular event? The United Nations was um, sort of, uh, it, was, it was an organization which you wouldn't recognize uh, today. It was highly functioning and it was changing the world. One of the things that I talk about in my book is uh, at the same time that was happening, I became president of the UN Correspondents Association. And I developed a great relationship with Ambassador Diego Arya, president of the Security Council, along with, you'll remember, the Bosnian ambassador, Mohamed Shakarbi. He was a character. I'll talk about him in a second. But that was the combination that really kind of helped us report to Peter Jennings during a time when uh, nobody was really listening and there was no chance that Bosnia was going to be saved. So he kept that in the media all the way up to Srebrenica when they had the, uh, the terrible genocide there in, 19, in 1995. Now, who's the other person you mentioned? Mohamed Shakabi, is that right? Yes, Mohamed Shakabi was the uh, Bosnian ambassador to the United Nations. His father was uh, very active in the government, but he was born in the United States. So he had dual citizenship. And it was very funny, uh, the press really appreciated him for many reasons. I did because he was vital to my reporting along with Ambassador Shocker. But he was also a needle under the, the of Sudan, uh, I should say Sir David Haney of the UK because he talked to him like a New Yorker and not like a small quiet Bosnian, which Haney expected. And so uh, they had a little bit of a problem, not only from in, in, in real time in terms of the the betrayal of Bosnia, but also in this uh, off-campus uh, uh, disagreement. Uh, Hanny used to call him the ambassador of Staten Island. <laughs> Staten Island? Yes. One of the five boroughs in New York. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he greatly appreciated that to know him. He did, and he got, yes, he appreciated it and, and, and returned the favor. <laughs> I'm, certain, I'm certain that he did. You mentioned Ambassador Diego Adia. Uh, he has been a guest on this program. In fact, our viewers can go to shows about, about two years ago, I guess it was, that he was on there. He was quite a, a figure at the UN and was very instrumental in promoting a lot of the current thinking at the UN. He developed the ARIA formula, did he not, at the Security Council? Yes, as a matter of fact, Bill, when I was president of the UN, Security, uh, president of the United Nations Correspondents Association, 
the Security Council was holding closed door hearings and the subject of those hearings, like Bosnia, they had no idea of what was going on, how their fate was being decided. So I, I asked for an international press conference on the transparency in the Security Council, and it was very well supported by the Secretariat and Diego Aria, the president of the council. And as a result, there was some compromise and the Aria uh, formula was developed where uh, council members would meet with those people they were discussing and actually discuss their fate. Which was extremely important. That's very important to bring all of the players into the discussion. You've got to have that. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with a PBS or community access television station, or perhaps an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you just have a podcast, you have a computer, you like our shows, you would like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at the at iconic news person, Peter Jennings, who was just a, just a giant in the media arena for, for decades. And my guest knew him very well, Tom Osborne, is a journalist who's covered the United Nations. He's covered major activities and conflicts that have occurred in various areas of the world, such as Iraq, in the, oh, in the Balkans, and in other places. But lately, he wrote a book called The Politics of War, My 10-Year Journey with Peter Jennings. Tom, the book, uh, go back to Peter for a moment. We get, we get off on Yeah, we got a lot of to get sidetracked. We could talk about it. <laughs> Issue. That's all right. But Peter Jennings, he now he was Canadian, as I recall, but he became a naturalized American later in life. How did he view the whole field of journalism? How did he view the media? And what type of code of ethics did he have? A code that is sadly lacking for a large number of media people today. I'm glad you raised that, Bill, because the reason I wrote the book is really to anticipate the 20th anniversary, which is coming up in 2025. And during this period, I wanna hold a series of lectures, which has started now in universities, to discuss exactly what you're saying. Peter Jennings was, yes, a Canadian, but he loved America. And he also had a, a copy of the constitution in his pocket. And uh, people didn't know whether he was, uh, liberal or conservative or Democrat or what. They just uh, knew him uh, as uh, basically rising above the situation and, and getting down to the truth of the, of, the, of the story. And that's one of the things that Peter insisted on. He was very upset with journalists who uh, sort of rushed through the story and, and passed the survivors to get on the camera first. He really, he really deplored that kind of journalism. And he expected people to look at the story behind the story and to, to try to get beyond the headlines um, and the hysteria to get to really what's happening. And, and I think he, he showed that in, in all of the, the conflicts that he covered from Iraq to Bosnia and everyone he was really, uh, he had Peter Jennings reports which attempted to get people up to speed, to get into the living rooms of Americans where people really need to know and to talk to those people. That was Peter's goal. 
and a very noble goal. I'm just curious. He he was a journalist in a different era. They had, a, I think, generally speaking, a very positive code of ethics. But how, if he were alive today, what would he think of the media? And I won't lump all of them together. That's not fair. But how, as to how they're covering things like the climate change crisis, uh, the January 6th insurgency against the U.S. Capitol and democratic institutions in the United States, oh, the withdrawal of Afghanistan by the United States and, and its allies. But how would he cover that in, in a very objective, factual way, as opposed to some of the sensationalistic activities that we see with so many journalists, especially on Afghanistan? It's just, it's just been mind-boggling to watch journalists pile on on this. It, it just, uh, which, uh, we won't get into that probably, but anyway, it's just... A comment on my part, but how would he do that? Well, he he really would have been very disappointed in media today. Not journalists like yourself, not journalists that are serving the networks these days and that try to, to walk the narrow and get their sources right. He would have been very upset at the sort of uh, fire hose of information that burst over America. Uh, the big three are gone, and this is just flushing everybody out. And it's telling the worst of us and sometimes a little bit about the best of us, but it, mostly it's a hodgepodge of all this information. You know, I don't know whether you've had the same experience, but I have a neighbor who, who, who listens to this uh, attention on the uh, social media, particularly with regard to the virus and the pandemic. And I have to tell you, he is so addicted and so bent out of shape with this that I hardly know him. And I think that's the problem is that we are, we're really, we really are in an in America where we don't know each other anymore and we don't trust each other anymore. We don't know who to believe. One question I would ask, and I'll turn it over to you, Bill, is if Peter reported the fact that Srebrenica was a genocidal act and these were the, the people who committed it, um, why should we believe him? Who would believe him today? And who wouldn't have it all over social media? I can tell you there was two stories. One that told the fact that 10,000 men and boys died and the other one wouldn't even mention them. That's fake news. It certainly is, yes. And, and you can pretty much lump <laughs> a certain group of stations or news outlet, where they call themselves news outlets, which are really not to, to a large degree, as, as is reported by so many of the media. But but you look at One America News, you look at Newsmax, Fox, uh, it's just incredible the amount of misinformation that streams out of those three item or publications every day. And then, of course, you have Facebook that will put up a lot of this nonsense, but it's, it's just, it's become dangerous now. It's not, it's gotten to the point where it's no longer amusing to have people uh, spin out all these conspiracy theories and all this misinformation and put out information like telling people that they can go to their local feed, feed and grain store and buy this medication that you use to deworm cows. And this is going to get people killed, but it's just a totally different environment today. What, what would you recommend that some of the media outlets do? And of course, the general public has to get on board with this. And they, they seem to be becoming more splintered and discombobulated as we go through this, but what would you recommend that we do to try to improve the media and the accuracy and objectivity of the delivery system? 
I think we have to talk about what we used to know, uh, what we used to have as a standard. That's one of the reasons why I wrote this book and why I want to, to go on this lecture series to, to remind people of what it was like to have a Peter Jennings, a John Chancellor, a Barbara Walters, uh, you name it, Linda Ellerby, they're all very special and yet people don't hear them. The problem is that people would, people would not hear a story like Bosnia today because it wouldn't fit anywhere. It's too complicated. And that's where we lost each other. Somehow we've got to get back to telling people uh, about the news in a way that educates them, brings them up to speed. And uh, that's not easy. You gotta do it, I guess, one station at a time, at least like you're doing, Bill, programs like you and uh, others. I think that's the answer, really. That's the only answer we have, really. There's not going to be an overwhelming uh, answer to the problem. It's not gonna happen overnight. So it's gonna be us. Mm -hmm. And not only, as I see it, and I may be wrong, correct me if I am, but it seems to me like it's a two-pronged approach. You got the media that really needs to focus on what it's doing and some media folks need to criticize others when they see the, the nonsense that they're putting out. I mean, really, disinformation, misinformation lies. But also, our educational institutions are under threat right now. You've got a situation where you've got a lot of revisionists, ultra conservatives, who want to rewrite things such as slavery. They want to change the history books to say that Africans who were forced to come to this country to, to work free of charge and to be slaves were guest workers. I mean, that is just absolutely absurd to think of that, yet they're broaching it and there are people, so-called respected educators who are giving it play. It, 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 this is just something that's just absolutely atrocious to my way of thinking, but we've got to work on it on both angles, do, you, do we not? Absolutely, I mean, if you look at the what we call the mainstream media today, and you, you've mentioned Fox and a few others, I, I, I hear them, you know, advertising this, um, this deworming thing that you're talking about. Yesterday, I heard it on the primetime hour. Um, so I think we do have to start in the other media to criticize the other, these people. We have to have a standard. We have to, have to raise that standard and tell people what it was like. And that's, that's our goal for all of us. And we should all be doing that because we're all interested in getting as much factual information as possible and to help people stay alive. I mean, this is really a very serious situation. Well, Tom, we're down to our last few minutes. I'm just, I know you've had so many wonderful experiences working with Peter Jennings, covering the, these international events, meeting people at the United Nations and other places. What, what is one of the most memorable that you will cherish for the rest of your life and beyond? I think the most memorable was actually sticking it out in that terrible time when Bosnia was being destroyed and Peter was trying to report and Diego Ari was trying to help out and Mohammed Shakri. That was really the time to be alive because we knew we were making a difference even though we didn't save those people in Srebrenica. They, did, they were sacrificed, but you know, the most important thing I ever got was a, was a note from Peter uh, telling me what a great job I did and, uh, and that I should be very proud and that he was proud of me. And that really kind of blew me away. I had never expected that. So it was a special moment. And I have that letter actually on my book. 
and we will encourage everyone to go get a copy of your book. <laughs> yeah, please. Or, it's called. Yes, please. So I, so I tell the politics of war, my 10 years with Peter Jennings. However, if you want to order it from Amazon.com, it's very easy. Politics of War, Peter Jennings. Well, you, you have done a remarkable job. You've had a very remarkable career. And of course, teaming up with Peter Jennings is just another feather in your cap, so to speak, I think, and a feather in his cap too, because you two made a wonderful one-two punch and contributed so much to helping us better understand these very complex international issues and how they impact our lives. But Tom Osbert, I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. Thank you, Bill. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television. Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives.